You're listening to the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has been working to make cars safer. Find out more at autosafety.org. Hey, listeners. Have you subscribed to the show yet? Come on. Do it. You can do it on Google Podcasts, on Apple, iTunes, on Spotify, on something called Deezer. You can do it wherever. Subscribe. It's great. And for our patient listeners who've been waiting weeks now, who met our challenge of becoming new monthly subscribers, at the end of this episode, the one and only Fred Perkins will reveal his Chase by a Tank story. So stick around. Wow. All right. So, guys, I want to start off with, um, I, I sent the two of you an email the other day. I was in a cab. I'm in the backseat of a cab, and I've got a guitar with me and some effects unit stuff. And I realized, like, I'm wearing a seatbelt. The driver's wearing a seatbelt. But you guys have destroyed my view of safety in cars because I realized, oh, if we got into an accident, now my guitar is a weapon. And so is this bag of stuff, which weighed probably 20 pounds. These are projectiles. Um, what, how, do, how do we secure these things am i overthinking this I- well i mean you know we've had this phenomenon that's available to us for many years now called the trunk i don't know if you had one in that particular taxi cab there i, I you know i don't think i've seen a trunk in a long time <laughs> we know trunks are are disappearing they're kind of uh you know going 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 away slowly as sedans are being outpaced by suvs and pickup trucks um, to where I think, you know, we were down to like, I think 19% or so of the vehicles purchased in America were sedans the year before last. And last year they actually bumped up again, I think to about 21%. But I think long-term we're looking at, you know, SUVs and pickup trucks continuing to dominate the passenger vehicle market. So no trunks, no trunk for you. No Aww. trunk for you one year. Um, you do have the alternative of a cargo net. Most of the SUVs, at least all of them that I've owned, have hooks in the back that you can use to secure the uh, the cargo that's sitting back there. People don't ordinarily do that, and I, I've had my engineer friends ridicule me for driving around with a cargo net, asking if I was planning to go to the Congo. But nevertheless, they do exist. They're not not expensive, and they are a good way to secure whatever is in the back. For a taxi, uh, I, you know, you got fewer options, I suppose. But it's good to remember that whatever is in your car will weigh 10 times as much as it comes it, towards your head during an accident. This is about 10 Gs typical during a severe accident. So your guitar, which weighs, what, 10 pounds? 10 pounds, 6 pounds, yeah. Yeah, it becomes uh, 60 or 70 pounds. Wow. That is uh, the equivalent load that's going to impact whatever is in front of it there's a lot of pointy edges and things on guitars too that don't make them very friendly well i mean but i even just groceries i'm thinking like you know i'll regularly go to the supermarket yep. and that stuff's it's you know it's our little hatchback it's put in the back or it's put in the back seat on the floor but you know it's not secured necessarily i mean frozen turkey fro- yeah, and, I, I a, frozen a can turkey. of beans <laughs> Right. Well, going going back to our earlier episode where we talked with your son about motorcycles and <laughs> made equivalence to the height. If you want to see the potential impact of this projectile in your car, just take it up to about the tenth floor of a building and drop it onto the pavement and see what happens. 
Uh, if it's happy, then you should be happy. If it's not happy, then this is really something you should secure in your car to be safer in the event of a crash. Okay. Or go to a move to a diet of bagged salads and marshmallows. Oh, that sounds interesting and slightly gross. Uh, and how do you secure your pet, your loved pet, dog, cat, bird, lizard? Well, most of us don't, but there are harnesses that are available for dogs that clip into the seatbelt structures. Um, I've, I've seen them. I haven't purchased any yet. So yeah, I'm living on the edge with my little fluffies. Uh, yeah, there's. I always have a lot of questions about the the protective structures for pets. First of all, because pets come in, you think humans come in a lot of varieties of sizes that we talk about. Pets come in way more different sizes due to the fact there's multiple species and birds and fish and all sorts of things going on. Um, it's, you know, it's hard to say whether some of the products that are on the market actually function as intended or are they like some of these um booster seats that we see coming over from china via amazon and alibaba i think amazon's cracked down on it but booster seats that claim to protect children in the vehicle but they found out they're not compliant and they don't so it's a um kind of a switcheroo on consumers who buy those kind of things hmm. and and my last question on this and i already know the answer you guys are just gonna depress me has there been any safety testing on these cargo nets or ways to secure animals or things of that nature? I don't know the answer to that. Mm. Yeah, it's not part of, you know, it's not part of the Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards. I mean, there probably are standards that are written with the intent to keep pieces of the vehicle from becoming flying objects like that, but nothing that, that involves cargo. Mm. Oh, well. Um so let's move on to the uh, dust storm story. Uh, this is a, you know, for somebody who lives on the East Coast, this was a surprising story where there was uh, unfortunately seven dead, 37 hospitalized after a blinding dust storm caused pileups on an Illinois highway. Um, so it seemed that this storm, as they say, is a freak storm, came out of nowhere. Um, it was uh, basically they had just tilled farmland. Uh, the wind blew up and basically people driving down the road, the highway, and then all of a sudden their visibility drops to zero. Um, I'm sure Waymo would handle it very well, but, uh, but humans didn't. Um, is there not any sort of advanced notice or warnings of these things? Like how, how does this work? You know, this is not the first time. I, 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 when I saw that yesterday, that crash coming, you know, if you go back and you Google, uh, dust storm crash or something like that. You see that there have just been dozens and dozens of these things over the years. It appears to be very different than, you know, a heavy thunderstorm or something like that, um, where visibility is significantly reduced. I mean, I, one of the articles I was reading, I believe it was from um, NOAA, the government agency, saying when you're in a dust storm, and you pull over to the side, you shouldn't turn on. You should make sure your brakes aren't on, your rear lights aren't on, because that produces tail lights that other vehicles might follow, thinking that they are off the road. That's how bad the visibility gets in these things. Um, and then there was also, you know, a study from two weeks ago that came out from NOAA, who seems to be doing a better job of 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 looking at this issue than NHTSA. They found that, you know, in previous literature, it was assumed that there was only one maybe accident per year attributable to this this 
kind of atmospheric and in this case it's a human phenomenon because it involves fields they we typically see this in arizona um and in deserts where they have big giant dust storms that provide some warning but we still see crashes um in the ones that don't uh and it's and back to the NOAA study, they found, I believe, that, you know, on average, somewhere between about 15 to 30 deaths per year and dust storm um, crashes. And, you know, that's <clears throat> getting into the range and traffic safety where, you know, they're, you know, we, we start looking at whether there's a way to prevent these incidents by technology. You know, when I first saw the story, I'm thinking, how do they not know, you know, all these farmers are tilling their fields at similar times of year. They're about to plant uh, right now, and they know there's wind coming through. How do they not know that dry conditions and, you know, how do they not know this phenomenon is is, is likely to occur? And how are there ways to predict these things and prevent them? And um, in Arizona, actually, there's a 10-mile stretch of highway that they've between Phoenix and Tucson, I believe, where they have actually, in the last five years or so, installed a fairly complex system, it looks like, that that can detect and change the speed limits on the highway from, you know, from 70 all the way down to 35, if necessary, uh, when, when a dust storm is present. Um, seeing some of the things that happen in dust storms, my immediate reaction to seeing one on the road ahead of me would be to get off the road as quickly as possible and not risk myself around uh, some of the folks who seem to want to drive through these things at speed. But um, I would probably recommend that approach to anyone who can get off the road as soon as possible if a dust storm's around, because it, it just does not seem like something that the average human driver should be driving into. Certainly not something that the autonomous vehicles we're seeing coming down the road are prepared for yet. Oh, that's going to be interesting. Uh, I, th I think in defense of the meteorologists, for no particular reason, that it's not the wind so much as the change in a wind speed. And there's a phenomenon called a microburst, which is, uh, well, over the last 30 years or so, it's been shown to be responsible for airplane crashes near airports. Microburst detection radar exists, but it is expensive and it has a limited range. So I, th I think that, you know, in order to solve this problem and have adequate warning, like they do in Arizona, you would need to have something like a microburst detector deployed widely wherever these uh, events might occur. And they're very hard to predict. You never know when a microburst is going to occur. You never know when a derecho is going to occur. These are very sudden and severe changes in the winds that uh, would follow a period of a long period of just accumulating dust and crap that can blow around in the wind. And then all of a sudden, it's no longer attached. So it's a difficult thing. I uh, would point out that this is related to the unexplained or unanticipated stopping due to uh, automatic emergency braking. My daughter has experienced her Subaru suddenly stopping in response to a leaf blower by the side of the road that or somebody was blowing leaves it's a i think it's a similar phenomenon yeah i could see i could see it giving some of the um sensors used for automatic emergency braking and other crash avoidance systems problems and i'm sure they're not testing them in dust storms i imagine all of them would shut down i mean i had a similar experience with driving through a snowstorm where it's like 
a lane keeping off emergency automatic emergency braking off uh, automatic cruise control off and it's fun driving a car when you, your car is telling you hey all systems failing disabled all of this stuff at that point i probably shouldn't have been on the highway but you know i had to test out those tires well, I think that's, uh, you know, that's an important perspective. People have places to go and things to do. And that's why they're on the highway in the first place. And they they don't like to just stop and sit by the side of the road while something passes. I mean, in my defense, I was in New Jersey. I needed to get out of New Jersey as soon as possible. Oh, yeah. Most yeah. people want to zip right through New Jersey. Okay, sure. Well, of course. As long as we're being reasonable. Uh, since I mentioned uh, the magic of Waymo and, and automated vehicles, autonomous vehicles, uh, let's jump into some fun little uh, Waymo cruise news. So in Arizona Central, we'll have the link to it in the description. Uh, this is interesting where Waymo cars are frequently stalling in the middle of the road or pulling over seemingly random. But uh, they're stalling in the middle of the road and this is they're causing traffic jams and things like that. And this is, Waymo says, this is a feature um, because, hey, the car didn't know what to do. So its safest thing to do was stop in the middle of the road. Now, from the, um, from, from the article, causing a traffic jam will land you in the press. Causing injury or death will land you in court, says James Hodson, principal analyst with ABI Research who studies the AV industry. Um, if I stopped my car in the middle of the road, got out of it, and just abandoned it, wouldn't I wind up in jail? I hope so. Um, <laughs> especially if you kept doing it over and over again. But, you know, cars losing power in the middle of active roadways is one of the um, top ways, you know, people die in crashes. I mean, it's It's been a safety defect for a vehicle to stall since NHTSA started effectively. I mean, there have been times where we've had to push a little harder to make sure that's the case. But... You know, vehicles can't stall and lose power in the middle of a highway and and us consider that to be a feature. Really? <laughs> Isn't that a pretty significant safety risk? And shouldn't these vehicles, since they are supposedly self-driving, be able to find a safe spot to park rather than, you know, because they're having an identity crisis in the middle of a road, just stopping right there when they're going to delay following traffic. And hopefully you're not going to see accidents occur um, because nobody expects cars to start to stop in the middle of active lanes unless you're in Washington, D.C. And there are UPS and FedEx truck drivers <laughs> doing it to you. <laughs> Or snow, or this snow. This is not typical stalling. Like this isn't a mechanical or a software failure. This is not like you're driving down the road and, and some mechanical disaster happens to your car. This is literally um, that the cars do this because they cannot navigate a situation. So they designed a known safety defect into them to prevent that from happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like this is something we, yeah. that Fred's talked about in the, the AV Bill of Rights, which is that they need to get off of the road into a safe place where they're not obstructing things. Whereas instead, you know, I think Waymo read the first half of the sentence that we put together and said, oh, let's just have it stall in the middle of the road. But again, I get back to it is if I'm I mean, the fact that these things can drive on the road without taking a written test, without taking basic driver safety courses, um, and then they can commit crimes. I mean, they're giving up in the middle of the road and no one's held responsible. Drives me nuts because I want to do this sometimes. There's sometimes where you're like, I don't want to drive anymore. I'm out. Bye. But I 
Well, this is going to surprise you and it'll surprise our listeners too, but there are no regulations or requirements that AVs have to do any particular thing at no. all. And, uh, you know, there's another complicating factor here, which is that if you take your Honda Accord, put it by the side of the road and walk away from it, it will get towed, right? right? And you'll have to go somewhere to find it. If uh, what, So what happens when an AV is stopped by the side of the road? You know, it's actually dangerous for a tow truck to approach it because there's no way of knowing what the AV is going to do. You get the AV halfway up the, you know, up on the car and all of a sudden it decides to drive away. Uh, excuse me, you get it halfway up onto the truck platform and the AV decides to drive away. You are in a world of hurt. Something, something bad's going to happen. So we've talked in the past about the need for third parties and emergency responders and, and, uh, secondary responders to be able to affirmatively immobilize the car. Uh, this is, you know, it's a very important aspect of what the design needs to do, needs to be built in. It's not there right now. Uh, and for some reason, these these factors are never considered by state regulators who are giving permission for the uh, AVs to use. Their regulators all seem to be having that sunshine blown up their perspective. Um <laughs> And they just accept that. It's dreams and dreams so, and dollar there. signs to a lot of these states that think AVs are the next thing that's going to, you know, help their state, I guess. Um, I'm not sure where that's actually happening right now, because in San Francisco and Phoenix, we're mostly hearing about these things as though they're an added burden on the transportation system rather than some the genius way of moving people and reducing environmental impact that the companies want us to believe. Yeah. There's another article we're linking to where the, uh, the writer talks about getting in a Chevy bolt named peaches. Um, it's a autonomous vehicle from cruise. Uh, and they named their car peaches. I, I, I'm not sure why, but anyway, he gets in there and he tells it where he's going. And he says, at first it's great. The car's never exceeding 30 miles per hour feels really good and then it's bringing me to my destination um it you know it it pulls over and it starts driving away in the opposite direction like the guy never has a chance to get out he sees and from the article after seeing the dashboard display screen indicating i was now somehow an estimated 20 minutes away from my destination destination i grew frantic i asked peaches what was going on i asked peaches what was <laughs> there was no response no kidding uh, so I used the feature on Cruise's ride hailing center uh, that enables a passenger to contact a human in a call center. The cruise representative confirmed that Peaches had gotten confused, apologized, and assured me that their life as a stripper is ending. I'm sorry, uh, assured me that the robo taxi had been reprogrammed to get me to my original destination. Um, uh, this is frightening. And again, if they subscribe to the Center for Auto Safety and they listen to the AB Bill of Rights. They would have heard this in what, last week's episode, two weeks ago, where there always needs a safe way for the human to get out of the vehicle. Instead, this guy got driven a few blocks away. As soon as he had a chance, he got the hell out of the car. And since he'd been to San Francisco before, he could figure his way back. Uh, That's just wild. Right. It was an interesting article because first the car brought him to his destination. And then as he was trying to get out, the car said, nah, never mind. I started and drove away for several blocks, and uh, the man was trapped in the right. car. Hey, look, Peaches is going to do what Peaches does, okay? <laughs> I, but I love the fact that the guy, I asked Peaches what was going on. Oh. Well, even worse is that 
I hate calling 1-800 numbers and waiting for the people on the other line to figure out what my problem is. I think I would hate it even more if I wasn't disputing phone charges and instead was trying to get out of a vehicle that had kidnapped me. Um, it seems like a pretty weird situation and one in which, you know, you should have a big red stop button or something like that. Did Michael just go mute all of a sudden? It's he did. I'm not how sure he did why. That. He was. That was good. He was animated. He has such attractive it mouth really motion. It's it's interesting. It's a, yeah. See, if you're paying for the premium service, you could watch the video of this. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I I just want to throw in here that I had a daughter who had an imaginary friend named Peach, <laughs> who was her companion for you know, several years. Um, it could be that Peach has just got a new vocation since she has grown up. But, you know, a Peach is going to do what a Peach is going to do. Said here first. All right, Michael, are you back on, Mike? I w thought I was on the whole time. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're great now. Okay. All right. My internet connection is unstable. Well, we're all... Matches, matches my life. Let's go on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And the next up in silly... Well, again, this is not... It's going to go into the silly world of Tesla. Okay, let's keep this going. And this is a Tesla. Uh, I'm sorry for fanboys. They are not an automated vehicle, autonomous vehicle company. They do not make any autonomous vehicle products. They, their marketing may claim this, but the fine print and their lawyers say we absolutely do not. But anyway, speaking of Tesla's lawyers, this is amazing. Tesla's lawyers claim that Elon Musk's past statements about self-driving safety could just be deep fakes. So since 2012 or so, he's been saying, hey, autonomous vehicles, self-driving cars coming next week. Hey, our cars can drive themselves coming next week. Apparently, we all hallucinated that. And it was just deep fakes, man. Yeah, this is why you pay defense attorneys $2,000 an hour, because that allows them to throw bullshit at the wall and see what sticks. Uh, pretty clear that's what's happening here. But I mean, Michael, as a as a lawyer, you you took the bar exam in, in a number of locations. Aren't you obligated to not just do pure bullshit? Isn't this something you, you, you sanctioned? You are by the letter of the law, but judges across the country are incredibly hesitant to sanction people who walk into court with a line of lies, you know, intended to either distract the court, distract the jury from the real issue at hand. It's a terrible problem in America and has been for many, many, many years. Um, judges just will not sanction behavior that's outlandish like this. I mean, I, I think a good example of that is simply how many lawsuits uh, were filed disputing the results of the last election that just completely failed in every court they went to. And yet very few sanctions were produced. Um, you know, we hear complaints from other folks who are anti uh, products liability in the tort system saying, you know, oh, well, there's this lady who spilled coffee on herself and blah, blah, blah. But we don't. And and this is the and, and, you know, that's the kind of thing that, you know, needs to be applied across the board. Anyone coming into court with with bad claims, false claims should be sanctioned. Um, and it's it just doesn't happen enough. It, it, it very, very rarely happens. Um it happened to Ford a few years back because they were just pulling all sorts of shenanigans in courts across America. They probably still are. Um, but, you know, this is how the legal system works. There are two sides. One side, you know, 
comes in and has allegations and the other side in many cases is is just solely intent on confusing obfuscating the issue and making it really hard to move forward with the case delaying it we've seen tesla delaying dozens of products liability cases and we think they're going to catch up with them eventually um i think you know you saw as part of this that elon's going to face deposition um in in the in the case that that's i think this is the wine case from california where the guy was driving his vehicle on autopilot and the car just decided it wanted to hit a barrier in the middle of the highway so um there's a lot of problems here and you know we saw last week a jury <clears throat> decide that the driver who turned on autopilot in the city was at fault um in a case where you know we weren't really sure if you know, the jury fully understands what's going on here. They're they're putting a system into vehicles that allows it to be turned on anywhere. And yet they're warning you not to turn it on in certain places, which is odd because they have GPS. They have this is a connected vehicle. They can limit where these features are turned on and off very simply but tesla chooses not to um instead they like to go to court and blame the driver for turning the system on when something happens i think that's a backwards way of designing a vehicle a backwards way of approaching safety and i hope that a um you know a better uh case comes along and a jury gets its hands on it because you know foreseeable misuse of certain vehicle technologies is an issue that's not going away you know we've probably talked about we have talked about it with the hummer wtf button some of these super speed buttons on vehicles all these you know bells and whistles they're putting on cars that have nothing to do with getting from point a to point v and everything to do with selling the vehicles to drivers who might want to operate them more aggressively than your average human. So it's it's a concerning trend just generally. And frankly, you know, I think NHTSA needs to put a rule into place that geofences technology like this. Basically, you cannot use some things unless you're on a close course or you cannot get from point A to point B, um, you know, with well, I lost myself there. There's another one of my brain farts, Anthony, that could be edited out or not, depending on how humorous it is in final final analysis. But well, if we take them all out, there'll be nothing left in the podcast. <laughs> so you know, we got to be careful about that. I want to. I, I do want to bring up what Michael is talking about. Is by default we're letting the courts determine what the requirements, the engineering requirements for these vehicles should be, and the courts will always be years and generations behind what the engineers can put into the vehicles. We really need to get ahead of this and we really need to have NHTSA put some requirements in place and we can suggest our requirements that we've tabulated in the AV Bill of Rights uh, to drive the design of these vehicles so that they can be operated safely. As long as we're letting the courts and the liability system and and torts, yeah, I guess, it's, Michael, I mean, you're, it's you're retrospective, on that, right? but if we're if we're letting them determine what is acceptable and what's not acceptable in the cars, they're going to stay dangerous for a very long time. And perhaps and not only that, it's it's retrospective. I mean, it's these these are court cases happen after someone's died or been injured, just like in re, in the recall system. It's why we need motor vehicle safety standards that make these things 
pass a certain minimum level of of safety inspection before they can be put on the road and cause these types of issues. So we're we, you know it would be great if we you know we never had to worry about some innocent person dying because someone in a you know advanced vehicle wants to hit a button and go fast. But that, right now that's not the case. Right. Well, we've been advocating that since 2018, and uh, we're going to put the reference to that progressive licensing regimen that we've suggested up on the website this week so that if anybody's interested in following up on that, um, the website will be right there and or the link will be right there and provides interesting reading. We'd love to get your comments. So the case that Michael was referencing where the uh, the jury found that the driver of the vehicle who turned on autopilot was at fault. Uh, it's interesting. There's a from the MSN article that we're linking to. Uh, Tesla argued that Shu, the driver of the vehicle, didn't follow instructions in the manual for her 2016 Model S that the driver must be in control of the car at all times and to not use the auto steer function on city streets. Now, I am one of the vast minority of people on the entire planet who's ever read their car manual. <laughs> like, no one. No one opens this up and read, reads it cover to cover. I do because, uh, you know, that's just who I am. So blaming this woman for not reading her car manual uh, and having her being inundated with Tesla marketing that basically says, hey, this thing's called autopilot. It's, you know, our cars drive themselves. Tesla producing videos where their cars drive themselves. How can you really blame this this person for thinking that my car drives itself? I, that's the part I don't understand. The, another part I don't understand is when did the dealer, before delivery of the vehicle, ever say, you must read this owner's manual in order to operate the car safely? Uh, it's never happened to me when I've bought a car. Oh, there's probably in that fine print because, you know, it's all, it's all on a screen. Click agree. You've just bought the car, but now you're sitting in. There's probably that... That, that same thing with software, because it's all just software. It says, hey, click here to agree. If you decline, I guess you're returning the car. I don't know. Yeah, click here to agree if you're always going to turn the car on in perfectly safe conditions for it to operate. Right. It's Instead you know, of just simply, you know, it, just, it sounds simple to me. I mean, if anyone thinks it's really complicated here and that I'm completely wrong, let us know. But... Oh, Michael, oh, Michael froze. froze. He again. froze in the, the most... He he looks very happy right now. His hand, he's in the middle of telling a story about a fish he once caught and how big it is. It's amazing. Uh, I, I think this. Well, when are we going to let the engineers rule the world, Michael? Uh, you lawyers always drop out of the wrong you, moment. Your, your video came back. It was so close to me screenshotting it, and that was going to be the ad for this episode. I, I'm looking. I, I think I'm having some internet connectivity this morning, but. Yeah, there's my there's my connection is unstable. Notice. Uh oh. Well, I was going to transition into um, the the towel, Fred, uh, because since we're talking about AVs and whatnot, we'll just continue on that thread, and then we can jump with some other topics. But are we ready for the towel of Fred? And we are. I, I don't know why I said it that way because here's the sound. You've now entered the Dow of Fred. Anyway, this week is the Autonomous Vehicle Consumer Bill of Rights number eleven liability so hey before we start into liability you fall asleep because it's called liability did you go to autosafety.org and donate you should we love you more all right take it away fred thank you so much all right i'll read this out 
AV OEMs, original equipment manufacturers, their agents, representatives, and dealers shall assume legal responsibility and liability for safe AV operation, period. In no case shall a vehicle occupant who is not actively driving an AV be held responsible for the actions or consequences of its automated controls. Now, this is a little different than the other uh, items we've put in the AV Bill of Rights because this is not strictly an engineering requirement. This is really a programmatic requirement that will be implemented uh, through the engineering, of course, as is everything else in the vehicle. But this is a little bit more extensive. Uh, it's just fairness, right? The liability for the AV operation has to lie with the entity that's actually controlling the vehicle. This seems seems like a simple requirement, uh, but it's it's not obvious. And the manufacturers are not emphasizing liability by themselves in their negotiations with states about licensing AV operation. If no occupant is directly controlling the vehicle, then the liability must be vested in those who designed, built, and introduced the vehicle into commerce. Again, it's just it's just a fairness. You can't ask somebody who is not operating a vehicle to be responsible for its operation. So the corollary of this is that no one who is not actually controlling an AV may be held liable for its operation any more than a passenger in a taxi is responsible. <clears throat> excuse me. Any more than a passenger in a taxi is responsible for its safe operation. Now, there's uh, been an interesting progression on this. In 2018, uh, the Center for Auto Safety documented our position, which is that graduated licensing for autonomous vehicles can and should be put in place in the same way that when a human being gets a license, you start with a uh, progression. You get your learner's permit, right? You pass a test. You, in many states, you get a provisional license that says you as a young person cannot drive between one in the morning and five in the morning or has other requirements. And some states say that you can't have more than one passenger in a the car. There's a lot of different requirements, but they're all a progressive licensing requirement that assumes that your ability to safely control the vehicle in all circumstances will improve as you gain experience driving that vehicle. We think the same thing should hold for uh, autonomous vehicles. And in fact, a, a paper has recently come out by our friend uh, Phil Koopman and Mr. Wyden titled Winning the Imitation Game, Setting Safety Expectations for Automated Vehicles. And in that article, they talk about establishing uh, what they call the legal fiction of the computer driver. Now, if there's a computer driver as a legal entity, it can, in fact, go through that same progressive licensing process that any other driver goes through. And what they talk about in the paper is that this computer driver should be treated by the courts and in every state in exactly the same way as a human driver is treated. No difference. Uh, we agree with that. And, and, and as part of that, it should be certified to be safe for operation at the different levels of operation that uh, is intended for its use. We will have this reference on our website as well, uh, associated with this uh, with this episode. 
Um, the other item associated with that is our article, or, or actually it's not an article, it's a response to NHTSA previously that documents our position on the progressive licensing for automated vehicles. Uh, that link will be on our website as well. But again, that's been uh, over, well, it's been five years now since we submitted that. We've seen no action from NHTSA on that. We've seen no action from the states on that. The uh, We think that this is very important. And again, we don't think any person, any human being who's in a vehicle that's being controlled by somebody else can or should be held responsible for the actions of that vehicle, particularly as it relates to injury to themselves or to anyone else uh, in the vicinity of the vehicle. Michael, did I uh, try? No, no, you did great. And I think, you know, what we're, you know, we're concerned not only for a passenger or the, the, the non-driver who might be, be the person who purchased the ride in an autonomous vehicle being blamed somehow, you know, we're concerned that, you know, one of these cars is going to hit someone and there's no one to sue functionally. If you don't have a mechanism that puts blame on some party or puts the burden of, of um, proving that the vehicle was negligent or not or reckless or not and these type of things, if you don't have a party you can take to court um, then there is no, there's not going to be any um, retribution or um, anything for victims of these incidents to seek after they've been injured or, or for their family to seek after someone's been killed. Um, and that's bad because, you know, if, 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 if manufacturers aren't incentivized to be safe by courts and by trial attorneys, then NITS is the only thing left. And NITS is obviously not doing a good enough job in this area to prevent these things from happening right now. They only really have recall authority in this area and they you know, it, the exercising that is great, but that means that events have already occurred. Um, and, it, you know, exercising the threat of civil suits is something that manufacturers are very careful to avoid. Um, and it, it carries a little more weight in that area to, as an incentive for them to, you know, make these things safer and um, if you lose a computer driver, you lose the ability to go after a manufacturer of these things, um, then you really don't have any incentive for them to make them safe before they introduce them. So let's pretend I get into a vehicle <clears throat> that we'll call Peaches. So I get into Peaches and I say, <clears throat> Peaches, I need to get to the airport really fast. <laughs> and Peaches, during my saying, hey, get to the airport really fast, runs a red light. Now, Peaches gets pulled over, responds. Who is the officer going to talk to? Because Peaches, all of a sudden, Peaches got shy. And I'm sitting in the back, and the officer's like, where are you going? And I'm like, well, Peaches and I are going to the airport. And I said, Peaches, get to the airport really fast. Well, Peaches interpreted that to run a red light. How long is a cop keeping me there talking to me and Peaches? And what's happening here? So, and the reason, and then what happens with, the, the kind of chain of evidence around Peach's programming that had it run a red light. Because our previous case where Peaches would not drop off their occupant, uh, a person, let's call them Kyle from Cruise, uh, said, hey, we fixed that bug and we released software to do that. So if that person was trapped in that car for a longer period of time and was essentially kidnapped, Kyle from Cruise said, hey, you know what? That evidence is gone. We've just 
overwritten that software. Have a nice day. It's quote unquote fixed. So there seems like there's a whole, you could drive a self-driving truck through all of these things that seem wide open. Like, you know, as the, I, I know I've just asked like four different questions at once, but I'm pulled over for peaches going, violating a traffic law. How long is this going to suck for my life as they try and figure that out? Well, and, yeah. First of all, you're going to miss your flight. Yeah, you've already Sorry, missed your flight. Important. So you don't yeah, worry about that. Peaches. Also, you violated, um, yeah, the vehicle's already violated one of the Consumer <laughs> Bill of Rights tenets, which is that it has to follow local laws. It, could, it, it shouldn't be able to run a red light in the first place, regardless of how late you are to the airport. Glare right? lens, it misread things. There was a glitch. So Peaches should have ignored you, yeah. and Peaches is going to do what Peaches is going to do, <laughs> but uh, she should have ignored you. Uh, another consideration here is that the officer who is inquiring about this traffic event will be unable to get any data out of the vehicle unless they get the cooperation from the original equipment manufacturer as things currently stand. So one of the, you know, one of the tenets that we're putting forward is that the public has to have access to or appropriate people have to have access to the data that's stored in the vehicle without the intervention of the original equipment manufacturer or the vehicle manufacturer. The cop isn't going to do that. And so depending on how the day is going, uh, you may be there for a very long time unless the manufacturer has, in fact, provided some way for the cop to inspect the vehicle's safety, its operating system, its safety critical systems. Maybe there was something that failed in the car. Maybe there wasn't. Uh, there's a long, long list of technical items that need to be satisfied before the before the officer can make the simple observation that yes, this happened or no, this didn't happen and get the data associated with the event. Uh, none of the technical requirements that would support this very simple procedure are yet in place or required on any EV by any state, as far as we know. Because right now I get pulled over the cop license registration. We'll have a conversation. We'll get that information from me. With an autonomous vehicle, is it filing a warrant to get that information now? Because there's no one there. Like, how does that proceed? Because I can easily see them running through traffic lights. Of course, there's a glitch in their camera systems. They're seeing their colors wrong. Something happens and they violate some law. Um, or they, you know, they go speeding in a, in a school speed zone because their cameras didn't read this, the sign or, you know, because it was obfuscated or something like that. Like, how does, how does that work? I pull you over. The cop pulls this car over. I, I, I can't imagine a cop actually wanting to ever pull these things over because they're going to be like, that's six hours of my day now for a minor traffic infraction. Well, remember we had Chief Mason on a few weeks ago, and he was talking about the human aspect of being a cop where you stop enforcing laws if it becomes overly burdensome to enforce the laws. And if every time a a police officer pulls over an AV, they have to go through a complete investigation that brings, you know, brings out warrants and gets you back to the manufacturer and it's a huge burden on them in their day to simply do what's required to record this very common and hopefully benign traffic violation. Uh, it, they're not going to do it. And maybe that's 
one of the objectives of the licensing procedures people are advocating right now. I don't, I don't know. I can only speculate about that. Michael, what do you think is going on? You know, I, I think that there's most of these situations, most times that I, that, that I think we're not going to run into this issue of warrants and things being required to prove out, you know, whether someone ran a red light and that type of thing. So I, I would guess that if we figure out the problem that some uh, law enforcement folks seem to be having, you know, just in pulling these things over, how do you issue a ticket? That type of thing. I'm pretty sure GM is going to happily pay all the tickets they get. Um, I doubt they'll be going to traffic court and disputing them and causing, you know, an overwhelmingly large amount of uh, red tape. And, you know, it, it's just, I don't think it's quite that complicated when it comes to issuing tickets. I think that when it comes to accidents eh, or not accidents, crashes um, and other it's incidents like that, maybe it becomes a little more complicated in that regard for law enforcement and, and for collecting crash data. Um, and they'll probably need, you know, subpoenas in some cases if um, the manufacturer's not uh, divulging the data from the vehicle and that sort of thing. Um, so there's still, I guess, a lot, a lot, a lot that states and law enforcement and the manufacturers need to do to communicate and catch up in this area. So let's say you're. Well, fundamentally, I'm sorry, fundamentally, they need a way to pull the yeah. AV over. There is no way to pull an AV over right now, except physically blocking its path, as far as I can tell. Well, I'm thinking is, uh, so right now, if you get traffic tickets, parking tickets, whatever, moving violations, they're attached to you as an individual, not to you as uh, a vehicle. And so now I'm an autonomous vehicle company, and I'm essentially having a hundred clones of me out there driving. And so if each day, let's say like maybe once a week, each of my cars gets one ticket like that, that's 700 tickets a week. At what point are they going to revoke your license? Cause like, if you did this as an individual, you're going to, you would lose your license after like, you know, I, I imagine you'd very least you'd lose your insurance coverage or something. Right. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe you should, you know, if you keep violating motor vehicle traffic and maybe even laws that aren't related to safety, parking and all sorts of things, maybe you shouldn't be operating. Right. You know, we saw, I saw a report in DC this week where they've got, I think it's something insane, like 6 million unpaid um, camera speed camera enforcement tickets. And they have cars that have racked up forty, fifty thousand dollars in tickets. They're not booting them. One of them killed two two people on uh, the Rock Creek Parkway a few weeks back when it fled from a part police um, cruiser that pulled them over. And there's no disincentive to speeding if no one's having to pay, right? So uh, you know, frankly, you know, you, you want you you want these citations going out and you know there needs to be a way to make that happen um and when you talk about a computer driver i guess you know are we tracking are we tracking each individual vehicle when we're talking about this or are we tracking it as a fleet you know that i don't know how that works and or how that will work in cities i would imagine that they would be treating these as individual vehicles consistent with how it's been done over time versus, you know, treating um, the cruise fleet as one computer driver. Right. Well, we've advocated that the fleet software is the entity that is driving the 
the vehicles and should be considered the computer driver. That's what the progressive licensing process is all about, to establish that your technological base will provide safe operations and all of the circumstances for which the vehicle is licensed to operate. Uh, we think it's a very simple concept. Hey, listeners, you're still here. We're just a few minutes away from the Fred Perkins and the tank story. But now we're going to go into something called Vision Zero. Uh, Vision Zero, we've all heard this where it's like, hey, we're going to get street safety, um, pedestrian deaths down to nothing, which I think we all agree. That would be amazing to go ahead and do that. If they could redesign streets in New York City where I live, they've put in a bunch more speed bumps. Um, I think speed humps is technically the word for them because they're not really bumps um, to try and slow down traffic. I've requested them on my street and they've denied, even though I'm like, they're doing donuts right outside my window and they're driving 50 miles per hour on a street that has a traffic light and a stop sign right after it. Um, but so, Michael, you have some thoughts on on Vision Zero. Yeah, I mean, I keep seeing articles that seem to suggest that Vision Zero is somehow failing or it's flawed or uh, this type of thing, which is basically, you know, arising from people pushing back on some of the the things that we've seen in Vision Zero, some bike lanes, neighborhood speed bumps, all these type of things that are Vision Zero is based on a concept that came, I believe it was, was it Norway, Finland, somewhere in Scandinavia, where I think it was Oslo, where the basic principle is, you know, you never put a pedestrian or, or um, any a bicyclist or anyone like that in a situation where they could be hit by a car going more than 20 miles per hour. Um, and they reduced, I believe, the fatalities in Oslo one year to zero by redesigning streets and doing all these patterns to do that. Now you will see cities in America adopt this vision zero slang but they're not implementing Vision Zero like you would see in Norway. They are putting some things into place and really not doing all the work necessary to put an entire functioning system into place. In a city the size of New York, that would be an unbelievably large investment of infrastructure dollars. Um, so, you know, Vision Zero in America right now, I would say none of the cities that are putting into play are actually putting Vision Zero into play. They're putting little laws, little fixes here and there that might be based on Vision Zero into play, but no one has truly committed to the full the full meal deal on Vision Zero. And so every time I see an article that's saying, oh, Vision Zero is wrong or it's screwy or it's never going to work, I say... Well, no one's tried it yet, really, um, in America. And, you know, beyond the fact that it's ultimately just an aspirational goal, I mean, the, to think about all of the transportation accidents we see in America every year and to imagine those being reduced to zero is something I think is, you know, hundreds of years away, maybe, versus something that we see in our lifetimes. Um, but, you know, getting all of these systems into place, even if it's piecemeal, um can work but you know a, an overall commitment i would love to see a city or um a town even put this into effect as 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 in in the way that they've done it in norway and and it's harder to do i think in america because there's so many different competing um concerns involved um but it's simply you know 
basically, long story short, you know, the criticisms of Vision Zero are, are kind of uh, they're they're misbased. They're not really that powerful because we don't really have any cities in America that have fully implemented it. Well, bro, just you know, autonomous vehicles. Just get rid of the humans driving. That's that's all the mistakes. It just comes down to humans are bad, right? You know, <laughs> look, I drove to I drove forty five minutes to an appointment the other morning. And when I got there, it was during rush hour traffic in the morning. When I got there, they tested my blood pressure and it was just through the freaking <laughs> roof. Right. And then they tested it a few minutes later and it was perfect. And I was, you know, that made me think, you know, I think I'd rather have been driven here <laughs> than have oh. had to, you know, go through this, you know, experience on I-495 and Beltway traffic in the morning where you're constantly looking, checking rear views, everything, watching the speedsters zoom past everyone, weaving in and out and trying not to be hit by them versus, you know, it's, it's, it's stressful, right? And so I think all of us would love to be able to kick back take a snooze on our way to our appointment in the morning, catch up on some of that sleep we missed. It'd be great. All right. So listeners, I've come up with a lot of brilliant ideas on this show from uh, replacing airbags with just uh, marshmallow fluff that encapsulates people during crashes uh, to the actual really good idea, the, uh, the augmented reality glasses for first responders to find out where cables are inside cars. Here's my next brilliant idea. It is a therapist for autonomous vehicles because sure us humans, we're ignoring the stresses of driving, but these autonomous vehicles, they're going to have to do with it. They're going to be having suffering a lot of anxiety. There's going to be anxiety medication software for cars. Look at this. Thank you listeners for, you know, for putting up with this nonsense. Uh, and, and speaking <laughs> of nonsense, listeners, you've waited long enough. We've been teasing mm -hmm. this for weeks. Okay. I know you've clicked on donate. If you haven't clicked on donate, still do it. Because technically, if you don't click on donate, you can't listen to this. If you haven't donated, stick your fingers deep into your ears. Not too deep. Don't cause an injury. Um, but here it comes. It's time for Fred Perkins to explain how when he was 16 years old, he was chased by a tank. Well, it was a warm day, and it seemed like a good idea at the time. Uh, I lived across the street from a wooded area, and uh, it being 1969... What would a young boy do except go grow some marijuana? Uh, those of, for those of you who are not familiar with the 60s, it was pretty illegal then. And uh, if you were an enthusiast for marijuana, it automatically tagged you as a hippie or something. And, of course, this is a label that most of us aspired to, particularly around the time of Woodstock, but that's a separate later, story. Uh, anyway. A nuclear engineer crime. <laughs> you worked on nuclear missile systems later. Sorry, hippie. Sorry, continue, continue. Uh, you know, life is full of surprises, isn't it? So, uh, so I took my body down to the local creek and pulled out a bunch of goldenrod and put some marijuana seeds in the ground and uh, lovingly came down to inspect them every so often to see how they were going and they reached about six inches high and i was concerned that you know somebody might take them or a deer might eat them so i was checking on them fairly fairly often so one day i was down there and uh, checking on them and of course my blood pressure was up too because like 495 i you know i i thought i was in constant other than predator mode and a lot of people could jump out of the bushes and do bad things to me, most of them wearing badges. 
So as I was there inspecting my marijuana plants, all of a sudden I hear this brum, 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 brum. I thought, that's an odd sound. That's not a woodpecker. And uh, I'm getting a little nervous. I'm, I'm starting to crouch down. It gets louder and louder. A freaking tank is coming at me. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe it. He's going, going about 30 or 40 miles an hour down the road. The gun is looking right at me. Thought, oh, man. I, I really pissed off the police this time. They're not even here. They're bringing a freaking tank to get me. <laughs> so naturally, I did what any human being would do. I, I got as small as possible, which, given my frame, is not all that small, but crouched in the weeds. <laughs> and happily, the tank goes by, did not swing around and stop me. So I came out of there, checked my underwear, needed replacement, uh, or at least cleaning, and went on my way. Years later, as after I had joined the military-industrial complex, I figured out what was going on. The uh, facility in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, that was near my house, was owned by General Electric, and they were making a fire control system for something called the M1A1 tank, uh, several copies of which are now on their way to Ukraine. And uh, there was a uh, target up on the mountain, and GE was, was responsible for the fire control system. So they had set up a test track down in the middle of the woods that included uh, many speed bumps, though so they didn't really slow the truck down, slow the tank down. They were trying to see how well they could hold their target focus on this target that was up in the uh, up in the middle of a, of a mountain, uh, several miles away. Anyway, that's it. That's my whole story. And the bad news is that. Something got to the marijuana before I did, and uh, I never did receive the benefit of any of that. Years later, I realized that I didn't even like to smoke <laughs> marijuana, and that I was only I was doing it solely because of the panache that it gave me as a as a hippie. Um, I never wore that badge as well as I wanted to, but time goes by and. You learn interesting things about life, don't you? <laughs> well, we learn interesting things about you in our segment called Fred's Felonies. Uh, <laughs> if you live in field mass today, was, you don't have to grow your own marijuana. There's a dispensary uh, every 500 yards, I believe. Uh, that's true. Those defense attorneys are really $2,000 an hour. Yeah, Michael. they're approaching I, I, that. I don't think they I'm are need approaching them. that. It depends how much you want them to lie, Fred. <laughs> well, this was all this deep fake Fred. Ooh, deep fake Fred. Love it. <laughs> Um, thanks listeners. Don't do drugs while driving vehicles. There you go. When you're not driving a vehicle, I don't care what you're doing. Cause you're not going to bother me. Um, thanks for listening to another episode. Please subscribe. I'm sure you have subscribed. Tell your friends about this weird podcast. You know how much you love it. Go on to iTunes, click five stars. I don't know if Spotify let you rate things cause I don't have Spotify, but rate it there. Go on to Deezer, Weezer, Geezer, subscribe everywhere. Um, and until then, we'll uh, we'll be back next week with another exciting episode of uh, the Felonies of Fred. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, folks. Thank you very much. Bye bye. For more information, visit www.autosafety.org.